glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. John chapter 4, I'm going to read another text of scripture you're familiar with, very familiar passages tonight. But what I want to do tonight is is show that in the word of God, God connects uh, what we do in regard to getting the gospel to other people with how we look on people literally with our eyes. In John chapter 4, you're familiar with what took place, or you should be, I would think, that Jesus is at the well with the woman at the well. He has seen her and has spoken to her and has led her to understand that he is the Christ. She has believed that. She's gone back into town to get others and tell them that she has found the Christ. John 4, 27 says, And upon this came his disciples and marveled. So he's still speaking with the woman here. And marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? So they're just amazed. What's he doing talking to this woman? They'd gone to get food in town. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said to them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said his disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, this is our verse, There are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. Now, was he talking about their figurative eyes or their literal ones? And all of the above. He literally wanted them to lift up their eyes and look because guess what was coming their way? A bunch of people from town that that woman had just gotten. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. He that reapeth receiveth wages, so on and so forth. Here, the Lord Jesus tells the disciples, you need to lift up your eyes. They were seeing all the wrong things. They were not seeing people the way that the Lord was seeing people. Have you ever, we have missionaries through, we have the greys here tonight. We have other missionaries through, they bear a burden for a people in a place. And you ever wonder, how do people get that burdened? I believe this. I, I believe literally has to do with how they use their eyes to look at other people. I don't know about you, I find myself noticing other people. And don't misunderstand me. Not, there are some people who are the thieves, they're being used to the devil to destroy other people's lives. But we, like the Samaritan, are going to be traveling down our road of life or like the Levite or like the priest, and we're going to encounter people. And you know there's a spiritual application there. We're going to encounter people who have been encountered by what Jesus talked about in John 10. We read this morning, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And people have been encountered by Satan, and he has gobbled up their lives and left them half dead ruined by sin and you and I are going to literally see those people but the Lord challenged us lift up your eyes and look on them and I just want to I want to make the connection tonight with how the Christian uses their eyes to look at other human beings and how we need to look upon them and what we need to process in our minds let me just let me say this very quickly and I'm going to ask for some of your examples that I asked for earlier um, there are three kinds of looks and I'm not going to I'm going to preach on this final one for just a few minutes here there's three kind of looks in this chapter. The priest comes by, and the Bible says, uh, and we'll read, we'll read it as we go through verse 31, and by chance there came down a certain priest, from verse 31 of Luke 10, and by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, what, when he what? 
saw him. That's with his eyes. He notices a fellow human being in worse condition than himself. He has fallen prey to thieves and been left half dead by the side of the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, he's a priest. If he goes and touches, what if the man's dead? He goes and touches him. He can't fulfill his religious duties. That's the law, right? So he says, you know what? I don't need to mess my life up getting involved with somebody else. I call this the look of contempt. He hasn't got time to possibly mess up his life messing with that guy. Happened to people all the time. How many people get taken by Satan, beaten, bruised, and left half dead by sin? We pass them every day. And the priest didn't have time. I I would call that a look of contempt. But then we have the Levite. Now, the Levite comes, and the Bible says he goes a step further. Verse 32, and likewise, the Levite, when he was at the place, came and, what's the next word? Looked. So the priest uses his eyes. He does, it's not that he doesn't see the man on the side of the road. He just is not going to get involved with him. But the Levite comes, the Bible says, came and he looked on him, verse 32, and passed by on the other side. While he went a step further, he at least showed some interest. He says, wow, that's a bad one. And he passed by on the other side. Then the third man. So that is a look of, what would you call it? You help me not with the sermon outline. The first one's a look of contempt. What would you call this one? Exactly. But we're going to stay alliterated so it's complacency. <laughs> but it's the same thing. Apathy. I don't care. I see it. I'm interested, but not interested enough to do anything. The Levite might have even said, man, glad that didn't happen to me. He might have had feelings of gratitude in his heart for his own well-being or pity for that other man. But he still didn't do anything. Amen? How do you think the priest and the Levite both probably had some resources they could have used to help that man? They're using their eyes, but their eyes are not really moving them to do anything. But then we have, of course, the look of compassion. Now, I asked you who've been on mission trips, and I said either, and I don't care, maybe it wasn't a mission trip, maybe you're dealing with somebody right here. Some of the people that are coming to my mind are people that I'm working with in this county or in the next county down that come to my mind that I have found by the wayside, and they are ingrained in my mind. Some of them have been prayed for today because I cannot shake these people from my heart and my mind. People that you and I have passed on our way. But I, I want to ask, do any of you who have been on missions trips or are trying to win souls have somebody that stands out in your mind that you say, man, this is somebody, I can see their face right now. Anybody? Fulton. Milton, all right? Milton got saved. Amen? And where was Milton? Peru? Okay. Somebody else? Yes. Caesar. Caesar's in Peru and Caesar's not saved. Uh, I think everybody went on Peru is still mindful of Caesar who came and heard the gospel Mormon background, but lost, okay? Anybody else? Jason? Pablo in Mexico, okay? Some of you got to witness to in, in this last trip, yes? Anybody else? How about, a, how about a, a local trip? I have a guy in my mind in Butte, uh, the man I told you about. He told me his name, but he said, that's what I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to tell you my real name so you don't rat me out. <laughs> and this man, when I walked up, I don't know what he was up to. Obviously, his life has been, he was in a rough part of Butte, rough part of town, in a trailer court It was working, and that man's in my mind, and I can see him. I think of men right around here. Some of you have seen some of the men that have come to this church, and Satan has got to hold them and just worked them over. Now, how many of you could sit back and probably fairly assess, anybody else got any names come to your mind? Can you see these faces? Anybody see the faces? I want to tell you something. Uh, there, you cannot get over the value of being where people are, number one. The Bible says when this Samaritan 
came where he was, he saw him. That's verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He saw him differently. He looked at this man and said, here's a man that's half dead. Meaning if somebody doesn't intervene, he's going to die. We understand this. Satan gets a hold of people's lives in sin so that ultimately they will be judged with him and spend eternity in hell. Do we understand that? And what has to happen is we have to understand who we are. We have to understand who they are. And I, and I, and I say tonight, we, we could certainly apply this figuratively, but literally this week, your eyes are going to drop on people. You're going to see people. And the longer we live, the more evident it is the, the, the power and the control and the thievery. Satan has robbed people of their purity. He has robbed them of their joy. He has robbed them of their peace. He has robbed them of their hope. He has robbed them of their health. He has robbed them of their, of their physical. Uh, their bodies are withered and shriveled today. I've never seen people age as fast as in this period of time which we live. And it's sin that's doing it to them. And Satan, the promoter of that sin. And here's what can happen to you and I. We can, as you've heard this preached probably many times, begin to look at people the same way the priest did. Well, the idiot wouldn't have... Doesn't he know not to travel when he traveled this road? It was known for thieves. <laughs> he should have been as wise as me. And maybe the priest... I don't know what all the priests thought. I do know this. He said, you know what? I feel bad for that guy, but I'm not going to mess my life up messing with him. Now, I say this, when you have someone bloodied up by sin, you're gonna, if you're going to get involved with them and get invested in them, it's going to cost you something. Amen? And that's the difference between contempt or complacency and compassion. Let's give you three very quick things about this man. Uh, and, and here's what I'm trying to emphasize tonight. In this man, I asked about missions trips. I heard a good message preached at a missions conference last year. He was just... this this. I believe it's a 17-mile stretch of road, something like that, from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is a road that was traveled all the time. It's right where he lived. And you and I this week need to be thinking, what do, I, what do the way I use my eyes, how I see people, what does it say about where my heart is at? Am I able to actually go out of my way to avoid a sinner? Or am I going to go out of my way to intervene in their life? Do I go out of my way? How many of you enjoy... Um, meeting people that have a lot of problems and difficulties and troubles in their life and you having to get involved in that to try to help them. Isn't that enjoyable? <laughs> Not really. So you know what we do? We often go by on the other way. If I can avoid those kind of people, I do. And that's not what the Lord told us to do. So let's give you three things about this man who looked with compassion. Number one, and you, we could give a number of different outlines, but I want us to get a hold of the message. He had to have made an assessment. The Bible says... Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him. Went to him. What does the Great Commission say to do? Wait for them to come to us or go to them? Now, church, I cannot over-preach this. Church has been redesigned and redefined to make it appealing to people. And look, we want them to come to us. It's not a forbiddance for people to come. But may I say, for people to come, you first have to go. Sinners often don't feel welcome in church unless somebody goes and says, you need what we have, right? If it's a Bible-preaching church, and so then you have to go where they are. This is the difference. Listen, it's the difference between a look of compassion and a look of complacency or a look of contempt. 
The priest didn't even go where he was. The Levite only did out of curiosity. I wonder what it's like to be in that man's position. I wonder if he's actually dead or not. May I say this? You know, you know why we still go out and knock on doors? We go where they are. You know, I go on missions trips. We go where they are. You know why you go on the other side of the gas pump with a gospel track in your hand? To go where they are. You know why you go down to bad neighborhoods? To go where they are. You know why we go into jail? It's where they are. That's where, that's where people are at that have been beaten and bruised by sin. You've got to go where they are. And my challenge to you tonight is this week, are your eyes going to lead you to a sinner to help intervene in their life? Because hear me, if you're in Sunday night church and you know you're saved, you've got something they need. That's what you and I got to get a hold of. We're not spiritual heroes. We're just people who have practical things from God to help other people if we would see people the right way with our eyes. And so he had to make an an assessment with his eyes. He went to where he was. The Bible says first he had compassion, verse 34, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. I say he had to make an assessment because first of all, he had to see the man was wounded. He had to see the condition of the man and the capability that he had. He had to see, here's a man that's half dead because of his wounds, and he needs something to start healing those wounds. Hey, guess what? I believe he assessed two things. Let me look what's wrong with him, and let me see if I have something that will help him. Amen? How many of you have memorized at least one Bible verse? At least one. Of course you have. Almost everybody in this room. How many of you think, if that's the only verse you knew, John 3, 16, Giving it to another person might help them. Met a man today, by his own admission, Catholic man, and by his own admission, does not know he's going to heaven. You can't know that, he believes. You know what? One of the verses I quoted him was John 3.16. Quoted twice today. And you could see him look at me as though it was a fresh something he had never heard. I'm not saying he never heard it. But what I spoke to him about is we're not saved by faith in what we do, but by the Word of God. We can know we're saved because we know God cannot lie. I asked him, I said, do you believe God can lie? He said, of course not. I said, well, then you can know you're saved. And the fact of the matter is, that simple little Bible verse, John 3, 16, is oil for someone who's been wounded by a lie of Satan. And here's what I'm trying to say to you, is here's a man who had to make an assessment of two things. The condition of that sinner, that man on the side of the road, had been beat half to death and was wounded, and an assessment of what he had that might help him. He assessed the condition of the man and the capability of himself. If you're here tonight saved, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit and a Bible, you have something others need. Amen? It's that simple. Number two, he had to have an acknowledgement that before him was an opportunity to serve somebody else who was in need. He had an opportunity. He heard a preacher preach a good message, a Pastor Eaton back in Kentucky, on opportunity equals obligation. As you have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good to some men. Is that what it says? As you have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to them of the household of faith, Galatians 6.10. This man had to acknowledge, you know what? Because of his condition and because of my capability, did he have oil? Did he have wine? And did he have a beast? Now, how many of you think this guy's some kind of spiritual hero because he had a donkey and oil and wine? Those were everyday items that people had, especially on a journey. Now, he didn't have oil to go around playing paramedic. He had oil for his own use. You know why you have Bible? You know why you're in church today? How many need to be in church today to get your tank filled? 
You didn't get it just to get filled, though. You get it to go minister to somebody else. The oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit, and the wine is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, both are a picture of the Word of God, because that's how the Holy Spirit ministers. And that's what this man had. He had a oil and wine and his own beast to get him from point A to point B. So as he looks at that man's condition and he looks at his own capability and the resources he had, he had to acknowledge, I have an opportunity and therefore I have an obligation. Luke twelve forty eight says, To whom much is given of the same is much required. If you know the gospel well enough to have assurance of your own salvation, you have enough obligation to tell somebody else how they can have assurance of theirs. Amen? Now, is that how we look at people? You know what? There's a person with a need. They need the Word of God. They have been left half dead by sin and Satan. They need the Word of God. I have the Word of God. They need the Spirit of God to speak to them and show them that they need salvation. That's in Christ. I have the Spirit of God. I have an ability. They have a need. I have an opportunity and therefore I have an obligation. Giving the gospel to people is based on a principle called charity. How many of you are glad somebody gave you the gospel? How many of you are glad somebody got over their fear of maybe messing their own life up by getting involved with somebody else whose life was messed up? I'm not preaching getting involved in sin. I'm preaching getting involved in rescuing sinners. There's a difference in there. And so then he had an assessment. He assessed the condition of the man, his own capability. He had to have an acknowledgement. Here's an opportunity to help this neighbor, and I have an obligation. And James 4, 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And finally, compassion always has action. Assessment, acknowledgement, and action. Notice we did, verse 34, And went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Now, there's tremendous typology. This Samaritan is a picture and type of Jesus Christ. I believe the end is a picture of the church, and he leaves sinners who've been healed and saved in the care of a local church, and says, You take care, and I'll pay you for taking care of him. When I come, I'll pay you more. Isn't that a tremendous picture? But here's the fact of the matter. This man, from a very practical standpoint did a couple of things. He got involved and he got invested. He got involved by saying, you know what? There's a man in need. I have what he needs at this very moment. He needs oil and wine in his wounds so he doesn't have infection. He needs someone to intervene in his life right now before he dies. You know what? How, how long would that fellow have lasted? How long is the sinner down the street going to last? We had a young man lived right across this street, 38 years old last year. He died and he's gone. And he was beaten and bruised by sin. Some of you met him. Witnessed to him on numerous occasions, and to my knowledge, never got saved. 38 years, he never made 40 because of alcohol. Man's not promised tomorrow, is he? This man could have said, well, maybe the next guy will take care of him. Maybe the next guy, maybe the next guy will come along. You and I, we need to look on people as an opportunity, an opportunity to serve our Savior, to pour in what we have. Here's what he did. He invested his time. He invested the resources that were intended for himself, he invested his money. He took out two pence and gave to the man to take care of him until I come again. The point is he was willing to spend himself to deliver another. May I say this? How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? You're at a gas station. You're at a store. You're in a hurry. You're on your way. 
and you recognize that the person you've just dealt with couldn't in any way know the Lord as their Savior. And you think, man, they need a gospel track or something. And you think, but I'm in a hurry. You know what? It may be an investment of 30 seconds. That first investment of 30 seconds may turn into an investment of months and days and years. I have people that have reached, because they've heard the radio ministry or whatever it may be, have sent a phone call, and an initial three-minute phone call has turned into seven years of trying to see them come to the Savior, whatever it may be. And I'm not trying to use me as the perfect example, because I by far am not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you have to start with what you have. And here's what it started with, his eyes. What he saw determined what he did. And he looked not with eyes of, of contempt, not with eyes of complacency, but eyes of compassion. The difference between pity and compassion is pity is an emotion. I feel bad for my fellow human being. Compassion says, but because I have what they need, I'll do something about it. Amen? That's the difference. And he got invested in this man's life. My question for us tonight is, how are we using our eyes? Are we using our eyes as a consumer of this world or as a servant of God and a servant of men? How did Jesus look on people? I wonder what I can get out of them. You guys know as well as I do. We go knock on somebody's door. One of the first things they want to know is, we had one guy today. First thing he says, what are you selling today? I said, we're not selling anything. We want to give you two books out of the Bible. Well, I'm not interested in that either. Well, I hope you change your mind someday. Amen? But the fact of the matter is, the first thing we want to know is, what are you trying to get from me? May we live our lives not looking at people as, what can I get from them for myself? But what do they need that I have? I have the Spirit of God. I have, His word of, I have the Word of God. I have assurance of my salvation when I'm going to spend eternity. And the look of compassion says, I will look on people who are wounded by sin as an opportunity to, to save. Paul said, uh, I understand we don't save people, but Paul did say that he became all things to all men that he might by all means save some. Amen? How are we using our eyes tonight as it relates to people? 